All right, everybody, welcome back. It's another episode of the Balance with Others podcast. Today, it's going to be mostly the full crew, uh, myself, Jordan, Travis, and Ola. And just going to get right into it. We're here to break down the transfer window on all that happened today and over the last month. And let's just be honest. We'll get right to the punchline here. It was all about Enzo Fernandez the last few days. This deal has had me on the edge of my seat, I feel like, all day, trying to be as productive as I can be, yet still keeping up with the news. And... Yeah, finally get this broke about, you know, an hour or so left in the window. Enzo Fernandez to Chelsea, 120 million pound deal. And as far as contract, I've heard years thrown around between 8 to 12. I haven't heard a solid number on that. I think we're going to have to wait. Um, You know, but this, not just Enzo, but this is also more about everything we've done this this winter as far as getting Mudrick, getting Felix, getting Mariuki, getting Barishile. Now Enzo, I mean, it's just, it, to me, it feels like it doesn't, it doesn't stop with how many players I don't even know if I can, I can't even on out of memory, just pull out everybody. It's been an incredible window. That's all there is to it. It's been an incredible window. I think this is the most excited I've been as a Chelsea fan, not including trophies in, well, a very, very long time, probably since the Conte days when I was just loving that, that time period or the Frank days when we weren't really winning much, but it was just a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I think that the, the the crown jewel, and I said this as much on on Twitter and stuff. I think mean, we've all, you know, done enough as far as you know, Jordan. You've done your, some of your stats threads on Enzo. I think he's the crown jewel of this of not just our window, but everybody. I mean, he's, he's the number one player that transferred this winter. Um, right there, you know, there's potential this goes wrong. There's potential this doesn't work out. But at the end of the day, I don't see that happening. I think there's too much talent here. I think the role in which we need, right, with Jorginho getting out the door, which is another huge thing. Jorginho leaving us is a massive, a massive concern. Because I spent all day sitting here thinking to myself, holy shit, if we lose Jorginho and I have to watch a double pivot of, you know, uh, pick two out of Mount Gallagher and Kovacic, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to turn it on half the season because it's barely worth watching. Like those guys are not going to offer enough for that role or those areas. So that's why I'm so excited to get Enzo's. I think we're going to really see what Potter now might want to do with having such an important signing that he supposedly was behind the whole way, um, as opposed to just putting out, you know, people we've seen for years, not in double pivot roles, having to occupy those. And all the while we're still in the champions league. Um, but I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop. I, I could just go on an Enzo rant for the rest of this time. I, I feel like I've invested way too much in this transfer as a, as an adult man, but uh, you know, that's where we are. That's where we are at this point in time. So what do you guys think? Okay. First off, um, you know, let's get to some of the other parts of the window first. Um, as far as addressing just overall the window, how do you look at this? And I think we'll, we'll save like the last half of this discussion probably for Enzo's. I think that's where most of it's going to be. I mean, we have creative attackers now, which is like, fuck, like we haven't had that in a very long time. Right. I mean, like, I think Jao Felix is staying at Chelsea beyond this year. I know that's debated, Bull, but like even with 
without Felix. Like Mudrick is really creative. Like his creative, his ability off the wing to like in two footedness to get in the space is incredible. The uh, TIFO IRL did a video on it and it is actually insane. Like he loses the ball a lot, but you can deal with that, right? That you can fix over time. Uh, Matueke, I, I'm not 100% convinced by, but for the cost, like to have a winger that can create off the dribble and cross the ball is great. Uh, and Kunku, as far as like hold up false strikers go, like he is similar to Benzema. And I think not saying he's that good, but in so like he creates from very central positions, which is nice. Um, like I think that's great. Uh, Ola called Bada Diashile over a year ago. And he was fucking right. Like, Badiashile is ostensibly the Rudiger replacement defensively. He's a, a very aggressive with great recovery pace. Like, I, I don't know. I think there are still... He holes. already looks better than our Rudiger replacement, Koulibaly. Oh, I mean, he is, right? Nola can talk more about this. But, uh, I, I like, he's... I mean, everything I've seen is that... He doesn't necessarily build up play like Rudiger did, but like that comes with time and he's still young. But his defense is super aggressive, but like great, his ability to recover is shockingly good for such a young center back. Like they don't make them like that. So yeah, I'm really excited. I think we solved a lot of issues. And I like, again, we've talked about this. I don't know that Potter's a guy, but I think Potter very well could be the guy before the guy kind of as Tyler said and I totally agree with that so yeah I'm pumped yeah I I think being the window has been a successful one I would say because we many people have talked about a rebuild for a long time and while I thought a lot of our players have been mismanaged I think the going in and out of, of the lineups has not helped them at all but I was really excited by what I saw from Modric against Liverpool. And it made me think maybe the players were the problem. But I would admit that it's a five-minute camera that is moving me. So I'm I'm not going to make um, lasting conclusions about that. I'll need to see more. But I, I like the left sign so far. I don't know much about Nonima Dweke and I would watch him play before I, I start creating any opinions on him. I've, from the little I've seen of Modric, I think he's not just a high-volume dribbler. He's genuinely good at it. He's very electric on the ball. He's explosive. He he runs past players before they even know he's running at them. I like what I've seen from Badia Schiller. I think he's... I think his build-up is actually as good as, if not better than Rudiger. I think his passing is very good. I think his passing is clean. Weight of passing. He's very good in the air. He's, you know, he's everything I've, I've imagined the perfect centre-back to have. Maybe I'm biased. But I would admit that uh, Thiago Silva was more impactful in the Liverpool game than than Badiashile was. But from what I've seen of Badiashile, I mean, he... He looks like a player that has 100 senior appearances already under his belt, and he does have 100 senior appearances under his belt. I think the... I like the Malagosto signing, too, because it 
it gives us genuine options. We don't have to we don't have to decide between Rhys James and uh, at, and as Pliqueta at right back. So when James is injured or is being rested, we have to wonder what we get from as Pliqueta. I maintain that I maintain that as Pliqueta wasn't so bad, but I think it's dependent a lot on when everything around or on how everything around him is. So with, with Aspliqueta, the team was playing bad. So when he was in the team, he was not going to really make us better because he has declined in, in some aspects of his trade. So when you put that kind of player in a team that's already struggling, it looks it looks doubly bad. So I think that's what that was. I don't really know what to say about the that of a final signing, but I, I like the fact that it's 10 million, so we're not really under pressure to play him every game to see to to to, to want to make him succeed. I think we can we can do him, yeah. Yeah, there is some news. I don't know if it's been anything's been finalized or updated since, but Fab Fabrizio Romano is saying that the club were looking at a loan for Fofana Nice. Okay. Yes, that yeah, makes he, sense, actually. They, they've also said he's not going anywhere. Okay. Which makes sense. We don't really have any real cover whatsoever at that position. It's also hard to loan a player like that because he's already played in two different leagues and there are rules on can you play in three. And the way Chelsea thought they could get around it was because the Belgian league's on a different timeline than the Premier Mm. League, but it sounds like that actually was not the case. Yeah, I I mean, I I would have thought alone made sense, but alone is more intricate than, you know, than it seems. And uh, I think the the Nkunku signing is I've I've watched him well not really but I've seen him at at Leipzig and there are a lot of reasons to be excited but I think he primarily creates through dribbling and I think you have to be extremely good at it for it to be a sustainable way of creating. You think Eden Hazard, Lionel Messi, you think Neymar. These people are very, very good dribblers. They are not just uh, above average. They are extremely good at it, and you have to be that level. And I've not gotten that impression from Nkunku, but I don't have to to know all about Nkunku yet. I think there's there's definitely reason to be excited. I think the Joao Felix signing was... I mean, I like how, how good he looked in the Fulham game. And I've said uh, maybe that was, that was down to... Uh, that was partly down to Fulham pressing us in a way that when we escaped the press, we had a lot of space to work with. Because Felix actually created just one chance in, in the whole game. Granted, it was a big chance, but it was one chance he created all game. And he looked so good that you think he created three or four or five. So that's, I mean, he did have a lot of, of short creating action. So he was extremely good in that Fulham game. And I think there's reason to be excited when he comes back. I think Ziyech was one of the players we couldn't afford to sell now, but I also, or to, to let go, but I also admit that that's a personal thing. I think Ziyech has been behind Gallagher and, you know, Zachariah in the pecking order when in, in games where, you know, he's on the bench and some players come on before him. So even if he doesn't particularly start most games at PSG, which he's really not likely to. At least he's 
on the bench, he's getting bent by Neymar and 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 Mbappe and you know other players like that. I think it could be it could be valuable to PSG. And the other thing but with yeah. his move is with it's there is no buy option, right? So he's gonna come yeah, back so he's no matter what. To come back, yeah. yeah. And I don't really know why he's expected to come back really. I admit that he needs game time, but it's it's not the kind of move you make when you need game time because you're going to PSG. I mean, even Di Maria was not really getting that much game time because I mean we know we know they are front three. So I don't think it's it's uh I think it's yeah, it's similar to the Felix Loon, a lot, a lot similar because he's, except Ziyech is not as valuable to Chelsea as Felix is to to, to uh, Atletico Madrid. I mean, and Atletico Madrid spent 120 million on, on Felix and now they're loaning him out. So it's understandable that they don't want, it's understandable that they don't want him to to just go like that for something in in a situation where they don't have control over the negotiation of of the fee he sold for, so I get that. But yeah, I think the 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 window has been very good so far. I'm definitely excited for the rest of the season. Not excited because I think we're going to make a push for top four. But the players that we've gotten are extremely exciting players to watch, and even if we're not winning games as much as we want to. We would at least see some. I hope to, for us to see anyway, for us to see some uh, improvement, some consistency in some parts of the field. Yeah. So I just said this in the chat, and uh, just really quick. The reason, like with the Ziyech loan and with the Felix loan, there aren't buy options amongst other reasons, is that buy options need to be paid all at once, as far as FFP goes. And so for a team that spends a lot of money, like PSG or like Chelsea, you like the buy option needs to be incredibly low for it to be conceivable. So like that's why Zakaria's buy option, like Chelsea probably at this point won't trigger, even if they want him, they may try to arrange a separate deal. It's why uh, it's what Arsenal did with um, Norwegian guy, by my freemies name, uh, Odegaard. And it's what we did with Kovacic a few years before. Like, it's just a way to navigate around FFP. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say. That's valuable information that I didn't have. That, yeah, that makes sense. So what... I'll say about this window is like it was just aggressive. I mean, for a January window to bring in this many players that are either right in the starting eleven or right on the edge of it, that's ridiculous. And and this is after a summer where we bought in, brought in tons of other players. Like we've done almost two rebuild, two rebuilds in two windows and I, I just can't get over just how aggressive it was to do that I mean like we should not be going out and buying this many players in a normal January like this is not how things are done you know signing players to eight and a half year deals that's not how things have been done historically but you know we're mixing things up here and making it happen um I, I I'm gonna admit that I don't know a ton about a lot of these players I, I know, like, very passively that they are, you know, very talented, that they're they're willing and able to grow. You know, I don't know off the top of my head who is the oldest player that we've signed this window, but they're probably, like, what, 23? So, you know, they're growing together. Is, Fe- under- is, Felix? is Felix the oldest one at, like, 23? 
Yeah, and we don't even know if he's really going to stay, right? So that it's Nkunku. Nkunku is twenty-five. It's not Felix. Okay, sure. All right. Is that like confirmed officially, or just a Fabrizio? Here we go, though. And oh, Kunku, it was confirmed. It, it was confirmed. <laughs> it okay. was like Le- Leipzig's had director. Had... Leipzig's director of football literally said, "Like, yeah, he's going to Chelsea." Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, we have all these guys that are going to grow together. They're all going to peak together, and we have a young manager that gets to develop them throughout this whole time. Like, this is fantastic. This is a great place to be in, and it feels like we're not done. You know, like, we could have got Caicedo today, too, and, like, I don't think anyone would have been that surprised. Um, I still think we could get him. I don't know. We got time. Every, everybody that um, wasn't a Chelsea fan would have been surprised and outraged if we got Caicedo today. And yeah. Enzo. So, I mean, we get all these players together, and, you know, all we lost today was Giorgino and Ziyech, which – I mean, Ziyech, we've been trying to get rid of for a while, it feels like. And Georgina was let him go for free after a season where realistically nothing's going to really change from where we are now. Or get what we can out of him and move on. I mean, I don't think he's going to make Arsenal so much better than they already are. And I'm okay with the transfer fee there. So that's no big deal to me. But what is really going to be interesting is we can only register three of these new guys for Champions League. So who are we going to pick? And if you're not picked, you get upset after having just signed and now you're not part of the Champions League squad. So just considerations to be making as we come into the end game here. But, I mean, we did a rebuild on speed mode, and it feels like this summer we're just going to do it again. Just just looking at the overall January window, I think the one thing that stands out from like I don't want to rain on the parade, but it's the amount of players that have left. Because here in a few weeks, we're going to have a massive amount of players on the roster. And that's going to come with some hard decisions. But at the same time, that's understandable. It's like we can't offload a lot of players in January because there has to be a market for them. But what that does is it kind of creates a lot of pressure on players because they're going to be either they're going to have to step up and, and perform, or they're just kind of going to get passed, and then we're going to be look to move them on in the summer. So that's that's just something that, you know, that's a huge problem that, uh, you know, Potter's just going to have to deal with, because at one point he's going to have 25 fit players, and they're all going to want to play. And kind of managing that load is going to be uh, a difficult task. Um, you know, I, we all kind of came into the season this year um, – knowing a, a rebuild was was needed um i don't think we all kind of expected it to happen this quickly in certain areas like our front line is almost completely rebuilt from where it was a year ago the midfield has started um a more younger rebuild and same with our back line so i think it's just really exciting to to see happen and it's like travis said like we have a lot of young players that have a lot of potential. We have a coach who's who's more suited to teaching younger players. Um, and then it's like what Jordan alluded to. He may not be the guy, but he may be the guy that starts the process. Uh, you know, in 10, 15 years down the road, we may look back and be like, this was needed and he started it. And he really doesn't get the credit that he maybe deserves, but we won't know that until down the future. But it's exciting. I mean, Enzo's a exciting prospect based on what he did in the World Cup. 
Um, the only the only downside I have to the whole Enzo thing is it seems kind of very familiar to the Kai Havertz where we chased him all summer and we just waited for fees and it took forever. The only difference is is we got to see Enzo at the World Cup before we bought him. We didn't get to see that with Kai. We just kind of took what we saw with the um, uh, with the, the Bundesliga. But, I mean, it's exciting. He's a young talent. Um, I, I think that anyone that says they're not excited for him to get here is, is kind of lying because he brings stuff that our, our currently our central midfielders don't have. Um, with the forwards across the front line, I mean, they're a different profile than the ones we currently have. They're exciting. I mean, we saw from the small little cameo from Felix and, uh, and Mudrick that they're different than the ones that we have now. Um, so just kind of looking forward to get everybody back and, and see how they uh, how they perform with each other. With the outgoings, I think it was kind of written in the stars that Ziyech wanted to leave regardless of what was going on. And I kind of alluded that in the chat. It kind of sounds like that he wanted to leave no matter where it went. Um, there was a lot of teams that was linked with him. It just sounds like they couldn't agree to a fee, so a loan was probably the most appropriate. Um, Jorginho leaving, like as as much as people hated all over Twitter all morning, it was a great bit of business. We could have lost him for free. We got twelve million for him. I know it's not a lot, but it's better than nothing. And he's happy. We're happy. It it, it should be a a, a win win. Um. You know, if we would have if we would have let him leave for free, people would have complained about how we let him walk and didn't get anything for him. Um, so any any money's better than no money. And then um we'll have to see if any of the, the younger guys get loaned out in the in the, the rest of the, the remaining time. I don't think there's much time, but uh, you know, getting loans for those guys would be key for, for us in the future. It, it, and that's a key point, I think, is that a lot of what today's excitement generates is not about what we're going to potentially do the rest of the league season or rest of the, you know, champions league campaign. I think it's all about what we're going to do in the next few, you know, specifically next year. I expect, you know, I expect with this much talent, it's not going to hit the ground running, but if we're in a top six battle next year, there's, there's big questions to be asked. Whereas I, I think next year top four should be easy, right? Um, the future is very bright. I think it's bright ish in the short term. Um, but I think what for me is one of the best positives today is um, and, I, and I'm going to make the comparison because I think it's valid and I think it's a good thing to bring up here is that if we still had the previous ownership, what were the odds that we don't make any of these moves? We were incredibly cautious and go to plans B's and C's and D's instead of just literally hounding them for plan A's until plan A happens. And giving a contract extension to uh, to Jorginho and and just keep him around next year because we don't want to lose him for free. I I just think that when we and and Travis, you alluded to it as well with how aggressive this window was. Arguably, this this window is one of the more aggressive ones I can ever remember as a Chelsea fan, and it's happening under the circumstances that we're, we've had this season: a new coach, Winter World Cup, new owners, massive squad turnover. So there's so many things about this squad that needed to happen that I don't think that we would have had happen had we not gotten new ownership. So I, I just want to use that not to knock on the old ownership because their model was their model and it still brought enough success to this club, but it was a different way of doing things. And this, and this ownership seems very keen to say, we're doing what we want, when we want, how we want it. And that's what, that's what we're going to do, right? We're going to make things happen until there is literally no possibility of it not happening. 
until the, until the deadlines close, until there is nothing left to negotiate. The entire board and, and the owners flew to Portugal to sit in a room for 12 hours and argue probably with intermediaries and Rui Costa and agents and, and all this shit that I don't know that goes on. Um, but I don't think that that's what we saw in the past, right? We had an enigmatic owner who was barely around due to international geopolitic issues. Um, now we don't. We have a guy who's, and Fabrizio Romano said this too, and I, and I really agree with him. I thought he made a great point about this. He said, you know, if you're a fan of a club, doesn't it just excite you and bring you a lot of joy to know that your owner is personally travel, traveling to get a deal done? I mean, it, he said it shows like as a fan, you have to have no doubt in your mind that your owners are as ambitious as it gets in terms of what they think is right and they're going to get it done. So I think, you know, I want to use that to just say thanks a lot to the ownership. This could have been this process that we were sold this idea. Like with Lampard, we were told it's a three-year rebuild. Just pick a punt on expectations for anything for three years. It's a three-year rebuild. We didn't get any of that. We got our new guy in. We got basically an entirely new squad. I bet we're done buying for quite some time. And this is where we are now. We're set up for long-term success. And we found FFP loopholes that we're going to exploit. Right. I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think this ownership really needs to be lauded for what they're doing. Um, because, right, we remember about six months ago, or not maybe, well, maybe even six months ago, people were still saying it. But we remember last summer, people joking around, well, have fun, you know, getting an American owner who's just going to use your use your club as a as a finance model and, and not do anything and be detached and not invest and all that. Right. All of the rival fan nonsense we heard. So I think we have to give a lot of credit to Bully and his group for getting everything done as well as they've got it done and never giving up. Because I think that was one thing we saw a lot of. We'd hear plan A's and plans, plan B's. And then we ended up with Danny Drinkwaters and Ross Barclays of the world, right? That and that's and that's after chasing like the Arturo Vidal's. And then we end up with Danny, Danny Drinkwater, right? The, the golfing class between those two players, you know, I don't need to go on anymore there. Um, so oh, hold on, the, Travis, yeah, right, yeah. right before you stop, and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone's free, but I I think I think I read somewhere that when the purchase of the club happened, there was a clause where a rebuild need to happen, right? Yes, With, there was a certain amount of money. And he had it, to spend one billion pounds within the first so many years. Yeah. So my my question is, if they knew that at the sale, why wasn't it done previously? Yeah, I think it has to do with probably looming geopolitics stuff that Roman Abramovich knew about. Um, yeah, and and that's just kind of frustrating. Is like if if you knew about it, why didn't we why didn't we start that process ahead of time? But um, so so that kind of popped in my head, and then uh, I had I had another thing. I completely blanking what it is right now. Um, oh, I'm sure someone will trigger it. So I'll stop. I mean, but here's here's the big brain idea about that point, though. If we have to spend like a billion, the faster we do it, the more bang for the buck we get, right? Because transfer yeah. fees are going to keep inflating. So yep. if for that billion now, let's say we get, I don't, I'm just throwing a number out there, like 20 players for a billion dollars. If we stretch that process out, then maybe we're only getting like 10 players because the prices go up so much. I, I remember now. So Travis, with, with what you said about, you know, Todd Bowley flying to the clubs and talking with the, you know, negotiating. 
as a player, how would that make you feel if the owner of the club didn't send any representatives, he's there negotiating for you? Like that sends a strong recruitment message that if if we're linked with you and we want you, we won't just send like the 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 lower people. Like the guy is going to be there talking, and I think that kind of sends a message out to to the rest of the the teams that like if Todd Bowley shows up to negotiate, like it's business. It's not just oh we're linked. No, like he's meaning to be there to get stuff done, um, and and that's a big thing. And with the you know you always hear about the new manager bounce. What about a new player bounce? Like these guys are coming into a club to prove that they are as good as they think they are, as we're told they are. Um, and, you know, it, it can provide a little bit of a spark. And and with a club like Chelsea, all you really need is a spark. And then, you know, things can start to happen. So it is exciting. Um, I, I think a lot of the criticism of Bully, you know, in the summer and stuff, he was kind of feeling it out. But I think this January window, he's kind of knocked it out of the park with um, – these are our targets and we're going to get them. Uh, and it kind of has a very similar Abramovich feel mm-hmm. 2004, 2006, where if you wanted someone, it, it, there was no stopping him. I, 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 want to, I think, I think Bailey and, and Abramovich are different, but not in the way it's been advertised. I think for a, for a long time, Abramovich was also representing negotiations himself. I think when the whole thing started with him being his visa not being renewed and all that, all that reduced and he handed over uh, a lot of that to Marina and a couple of others. But that's not the point I'm getting at. The point I'm getting at is I think Abramovich was as as, as uh, ambitious. Abramovich was as ambitious as, as Bailey, maybe even more so. I think the difference between the two is Bailey is is spending through his recruitment team. That he's letting these players get scouted and he's buying them. He's not just going, oh, I like this guy and he's buying them. He's not asking some guy on the board to to pick targets and buying them. He's not just asking the manager, oh, who do you want? And he's buying them. I think that's a significant difference because I think either way, you have to spend money to compete, especially in the Premier League. Southampton is going after strikers and players. Bournemouth is going after players. Nottingham Forest is also spending money. So this idea that we can, you can do the oh, well-run club without spending exorbitant amounts of money, I think is nonsense. I think we do need to spend money. As, as for the relentlessness, I think Abramovich also did a lot of that. I mean, he did, he did drop the $100 million for Lukaku. But I think the difference is Bailey has realized rather than just spend money, Let's spend money on the right players. And I think that is significant because when you... It's, it's not... Spending 100 million in and of itself is not, is not, so, is not so relevant. That's, spending 50 million in and of itself is not where the issue is. The issue is if you are not getting the right player profile, you are spending an exorbitant amount of money. For instance, Lukaku. I don't know what Chelsea thought they were going to do with Lukaku or what they thought they were getting with Lukaku. Exactly. I don't know what they thought they were getting, but then they brought in Lukaku, and I, I said at the time that it was necessary because we needed a striker, or we all, we all thought we needed a striker anyway. We did. And then we got Lukaku at 28 for 100 million, and people said it was a bargain because of what he did in Inter. And I said, you cannot... It, 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 
100 million for a 28 year old can never be a bargain. Tell me that we didn't have any choice. I can listen to it. But that it was a bargain? Absolutely not. And then he came in. He, he, he started brilliantly, but we all knew it was not going to be sustained because he, I think he scored three out of his first five shots or four out of his first six shots, something like that. No striker scores at that efficiency rate. Not even Haaland. No, no striker scores at that rate. So I knew because he wasn't getting that many chances. He was getting scraps here and there. He'll get maybe a big chance here and he'll finish it. And I said at the time when he started, I said, he's not getting chances, he's scoring goals. When he stopped scoring goals, these players will turn on, these fans will turn on him. And someone said, oh, I know you never wanted Lukaku. That's why we are praying for him to start flopping. And I said, I know this fan base and I know the team is playing him. And of course, the chances stopped coming and he stopped playing well. And then he did the interview and it all just went, you know, it all went pear-shaped. And at, at some point, it was it was a, a more or less an argument between Lukaku and Tuku. Lukaku said, he promised me this, Tuku insinuating, he never promised anyone anything. People said uh, Tuku had to adapt his style to Lukaku. Uh, other people said you had to use Lukaku in the right way. It was all just a mess. It was a mess. Another example is, is Virgil van Dijk. Liverpool spent $25 million on him. And not only did they spend $25 million on him, they wanted to buy him, I think, the summer before, and then they couldn't. And they waited and still got the player that they wanted. And it was not just... The lesson from that is not just persevere. It's not just uh, wait for, your, for, for, for the player that you want, but have a, a good idea of what it is you are getting. Because if if they had spent that seventy five million and Van Dijk had not moved the needle, it would have been extremely awkward for everybody. Chelsea also spent exorbitant amounts of money on on centre backs, but I mean Fofana has been injured. Manchester United spent um, eighty million or, or yes eighty million on Maguire, and initially it seemed to be making a difference. And then another manager came in that wanted to play a different way, and Maguire was suddenly redundant, literally redundant. I mean, Luxor plays over him. So it's it's for me. This um, head of head of recruitment, technical director roles, are extremely important at any club. And the fact that Chelsea went without one for as long as they did is baffling to me. Because Manchester City has had success. They they have someone in charge of recruitment, in charge of transfer scouting. Liverpool the same thing. Uh, Bayern the same thing. Every club that we find successful that are what envying, have the structures in place. So how we just kept doing it based on, oh, Thomas, uh, who did you say you wanted? Oh, oh, you want Kulibali? Oh, okay, I'll just get Kulibali then. I, I know I know Tuku didn't want Kulibali, but I'm just saying the the it's better to buy players that you know, even if the player, the, the manager that is currently in charge gets sacked, the, man, the next manager doesn't come in and go, yeah, I can't work with this. I need my own. And 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 that is is extremely important, and that's what a director of football does. That is what good scouting and good recruitment does for anything, because you get players who can fit a variety of of playing styles. I mean, Barashile is a very good example. He's tall, he's athletic, he's physical, he's extremely intelligent, he's composed. So if you want to play a low block, you can use him. If you want to play a high line, you can use him. If you want to play pressing, he's aggressive. He can also do that too. Whichever manager comes in, you can be sure that, or almost sure that, Badashile would, would be as effective or as favored to any manager. 
unlike a, a player that comes in and every, every, everyone starts saying, oh, if so so and so manager comes in, he's, he's, he's going to want another, another player. So I think that's, for me, the most striking difference between Bailey, not the ambition, not the persistence. I think it's just how they spent money. I mean, we spent 88 million on, on Modric, which is expensive. But from what I've seen of him, I don't think it's a waste of money at all. So I think it's extremely important that, that clubs know what they are doing in the transfer market. Because spending money is easy. Spending money in the right areas is, is where it gets difficult. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that this window specifically, once we've had this infrastructure in place, the types of targets overall look way different than they did in the summer when we didn't have that infrastructure. And we may never know exactly who's making the decisions over the summer if Tuchel really got to pick his targets or not. But just the overall scope of it is much different. And it's it's no coincidence, I think, that we basically raided Brighton, we've raided Southampton, we've raided Red Bull for their big ideas, guys, and then we basically told them, all right, if you were still at your old clubs and money was no issue, who would you go get? And that's exactly what this current window looks like. It's it's all the players that would not be out of place going to a Red Bull or going to a Brighton or going to a Southampton right before they went super expensive. So we have all that together. And I think the main difference I'm seeing between the old board and the new one is the old board was more reactive. So, you know, if we weren't able to go out and sign someone, they would extend who we already had. They'd rather have that player in place in the team then have that empty spot needing fit. So, you know, like try to extend like Osby Laqueta rather than have him run out of a deal and then have an empty spot where we have to go buy right back. And if our plan A didn't work and we had that spot to fill, we would go to plan B every time because it was more important to have that spot filled than to have it filled right. And now our current board is more proactive. We're okay with a spot being left empty if we get the right player in the meantime. And, you know, Osby Laqueta is not what it used to be, but we're willing to sit with Osby Laqueta for six months and have Gusto be out on loan, technically on loan, until we can get him because he was the guy we wanted. We all window, we failed with Enzo early in the window. We could have got another midfielder anytime we wanted, but we wanted Enzo. And when the opportunity came to get him right now in January, we took it. You know, we could have waited until the summer, but when that opportunity showed up, we took it. You know, maybe we didn't need a move good. But when we saw the opportunity, we took it. You know, it, it's just a much more different way of doing things, that it's much more proactive and almost like we'll figure out how things are going to work later. Because, I mean, looking at our attackers now, we have – way more than we ever could use, but we're going to let it figure itself out. Now it's survival of the fittest. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting come the summer to see who survived. And, you know, if like someone like Koulibaly, after a year of not doing well, are we willing to jettison him after one bad year? Can we jettison him after one bad year with his wages being as high as they are? Because it's, at the same time, that's kind of similar to the Lukaku situation where they, it wasn't their signing, it wasn't the new board signing, but 
once they saw something wasn't going to work, they didn't hesitate to get him out. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they continue to be this kind of proactive, aggressive that they've been doing. And, you know, just trying to compare that to how it used to be, where we were just more reactive and trying to fill spots or always having to have the numbers that we wanted. I also want to add really quickly, Travis, to that point. Like, what are the point you made about, like, if you were at your old clubs, right, to Vivelle, Wink Stanley, et cetera, and money was no object, who would you go for? I think it's even more than that, which is, right, like, Enzo, 120 million, he probably was not going to go for, for any other club, or 130 million for any other club. In five years, I don't think 130 million is going to be the record spent anymore. And Enzo probably goes for more than that if everything goes right, right? Like, Mudrick, right? Mudrick went for 80 million. Is like, was any other club offering 80? Well, yeah, but like in five years, if Mudrick is even 75% of the potential of what they thought he would be, he's going to go for over 100, right? Like, and I think it was going after a lot of those guys where, right? Like, and Kunku may just like, he's probably not going to go for more, but you only spent 40 million on the guy. Like, for a guy that was lighting the Bundesliga League on fire before his injury for like three straight years, that's a really good deal. Body Ishile for thirty million for a guy that is like just already like a pro center back. Uh Gusto was not much. Like it's going for guys still like at their old club that even if money was no object, you can sell on for more in a few years. And I think that is like the sign of it being really good business, is that like None of these guys, like, the thing about Kai Havertz is, like, Kai Havertz and his potential was worth $82 million. Like, it was like, if Kai Havertz hits his potential, this is how much he's worth. Whereas for all the guys we just signed, it's, if they hit their potential, they're going to be worth substantially more. And that, to me, is, like, part of what also makes this a great window is that, like, do I think all these guys are going to work? No. Like, just statistically speaking, it's highly unlikely that all these guys work. But even if, like, you look at, like, a good transfer window for a good team in, what do we sign, 12 guys, and if seven out of those 12 work or whatever it was, like, or even the first teamers, right? Like, so three out of five work, like, that's a success. Because them working is world-class players. So with the with the comment that was made, like, on, like, Todd Bowley working with the sporting directors, I think, I think that's a key um, – that's a key business move that we need to make sure we, we understand because like, like Todd Bowley is a business guy. He understands how things work. You put people in place and then you let them do their jobs. And I think one of the things that Obramovich kind of struggled with was letting those people do their jobs because if they brought in people that took time to develop or took time to get accustomed, they lost and he got frustrated. So, you know, there was a lot more pressure during the Abramovich era than, well, let me rephrase that. There, there seems to be more pressure in the Abramovich era than there currently is with, with jobs on the line. But, you know, if, if that's the case, then he's bringing in people to do their jobs so he can kind of step away and then just kind of step in when he's needed or called upon to, like, push things over the edge. Um, I, th- I think the having the sporting directors now in place um, provides a lot of stability that we didn't have in the summer because the summer was just chaotic with the ownership to take over and, and the preseason and everything going on. Um, so, I mean, it's promising. Um, 
it, it's like kind of everyone talked about earlier, like all the players coming through bring different attributes that we don't currently see in our players. Um, and, and we are looking for, um, uh, you know, we're looking for those, those lower talents, not necessarily, not now that sounds terrible, lower talents, but like the, the, the bargain buys, right. That the, the Red Bull Lightsbergs and the Brightons would buy and, and turn into to big profits. Uh, so, you know, may, maybe they work out better for us in the long term. Maybe they're the sellable assets. I still think we have a few buys in the summer, but the buys in the summer aren't going to come from someone's pockets. They're going to come from some some of the sales in the summer. I mean, I've got the roster pulled up right here, and we've got, I mean, we've got, you know, with lose you know, the Ziyech move didn't go through, but we've got one, two, three, four, five players that can play on the right right now. Um, Hudson Doe is one of them. I, th- I think he's got to get moved on to make room for some of the new players. So, um, some sales are going to turn into some profits. We're going to bring in some players. I'm, I'm hoping, honestly, I'm hoping there's some players that we haven't even heard of that we're just linked with out of the blue. Um, and we go after them. That would be exciting. I mean, hearing the same name for months and months, it creates all these expectations, but I was kind of like Travis. I was kind of hoping that at the, the last half hour, we'd just be linked with Casito and here we go. It'd be exciting, but, um, I don't know. It's it's exciting window. It's a good window. It's over, so all the drama can end, and now we can just focus so uh, watching them play. I mean, so part of me also thinks Bo- Bailey's strategy with the academy may be actually more similar to like the accident that became Frank Lampard's first year, where Frank Lampard brings in all these academy players, and yeah, like regardless of how I feel about Mount now, like Mount became a star for Chelsea and Reese became a star for Chelsea, but a lot of the other Academy guys were either sold or they became our debt. Mm-hmm. And that really worked. Like we won champions league based off having guys like Callum Hudson, Callum Hudson, Adoy, Tammy Abraham, that you could just throw in to any random match to be great depth. And I think like the bully in Red Bull does this too, by the way, like a lot of their young guys never end up being more than depth, but, that's great, right? Like, you don't pay for depth. And I think, like, everybody's focused on this, like, 2030 thing where it's like, oh, we're going to have, like, half the squad be academy guys. And what I'm thinking is, like, well, if the plan is the academy guys are your depth with maybe one or two of them becoming real first-team players, that's a great plan. Like, it's a great plan. That's great money spending, right? You never have to spend for depth, but that's how you're going to operate. And, like, I think... I mean, I still think Felix is going to be a Chelsea player as long as things don't go haywire uh, this summer. But I think otherwise, Tyler, your point's right. Like, we will sell a number of players. Like, I think Pulisic's gone. I think ZX's gone. I think Callum's gone. I think there's a lot of players that I think are gone. Yeah, another important person that might leave is uh, Mateo Kovacic because his contract Kovacic will be up gone. to one year. He, and, he's gone. There, and no same, same with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Cheek, yeah. Like all Ga- what is gonna... what about Gallagher? I mean, that's a massive profit for us in FFP terms if we sell a homegrown player. That's well, going to get what? If he does well the rest of the season, 50, 60 million pounds? Yeah. And, and I mean, like, the rumor was when Lampard was – like, I was listening to Athletics uh, football podcast this morning. When Lampard was manager, Everton was ready to spend $45 million on Gallagher. And mm. then Dice came in, and then I guess everything collapsed. But like, you're—he's a good player. I, 
I think I rate him higher than most Chelsea fans, but like 50 million or even 40 million for Connor Gallagher, like that's just great business. And like you we were saying this in our Twitter thread the other day, guys, but like Gallagher could be a legend for an Everton or a Crystal Palace. Like, right? He has that potential and they have that time. Like think, a Wilfred Zaha type. Like sorry, with with the youth like playing the supporting roles. I know Travis and I have talked about this a lot with, you know, looking back at like when when United and Fergie were in their heyday, the youth players came in and were in supportive roles. Yeah. He always had he always had a famous quote that said, like, youth players can't lose you games or they can win you games when you throw them in there because they don't know any better. They just right. go in and they're energetic and they run around. And somehow Makeda scores the game winning goal against Villa, wins in the league. Like those things happen when you when you put them in every now and then and you don't rely on them until they're they're ready. Yeah. And I think, I think with with us, especially on Twitter, as the moment someone breaks through, they're like, okay, they're ready, but they're not. They're an eighteen year old kid playing. You know, they're finally a pro, and there's so much emotions going through them that you know every little thing hangs on a thread. But but putting in those roles with like a supporting cast that can be like, listen, you can fail if we lose. It's no big deal because we're gonna win next week. You know, and I mean that's important, but we're not there right now, and we need to get to that, that point. Yeah. And I think this year and and somewhat last year is like the the learning curve for a lot of our younger players that like, you know, you have to find um, and you have to find the way to be professional, even when it's not going your way. And, and I think some of our guys are. Yeah, like I think Reese James is a perfect example of this, yeah, right? 100%. Like Reese James comes in, asks for Equata, like people like forget because of recency bias. Asplequeta, Reese James's first season was like a borderline start. Like he was having, he had an incredible year. Reese James Reece was couldn't defend his first year. He struggled right. like, so bad. Yeah, and Reese was just used. Like I think I, Lampard and Tuchel did this right. He was I, used I, in the supporter role until he was ready to be that guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's I how saw you Chelsea fans on that a lot. I was like, hey, like Reese in night in you know the first Lampard season, nineteen twenty, is like, yeah, he looks good, but do you notice how many times a dude is just burned on the right flank? Like, has no idea what the hell is behind him. Was it Brighton in the five three game? Yeah, he he yeah. just he was destroyed. But like, they need that. They need to get humbled a little bit, and it's like this isn't what we do here. Now we've got some new guys that probably need to go through that same experience, and we're probably going to have it in the next. X amount of games, but it's not terrible in the long term. Because like I think like, it's what happened is happening to Trev right now. Right. Yeah. Like Trev, like this is great. I, I Ola and I have been like uh the highest of the high on the Trev bandwagon. But like this is what Trev needs, right? He needs to be in this position where he can fail. And like frankly, like nobody blames him for the loss. Right? Well, Lewis what, Hall what was the common player. uh what was the common thread? Is that we've never lost a game when Trev's starting. He's going to. Eventually, he's going to lose the game. Yeah. But he's been great in this, like, weird, like, fullback, whom center back role. Like, yeah. but that, right? He lost a lot of games. He had a really rough first half this season. And yeah. now, like, he's looking better. I think, and it won't be perfect from here on out. He's going to start, he's going to struggle again. And, like, yeah. but that's how you have to bring in young guys is where, like, mm -hmm. Trev is not being asked to be the top center back. Right, or, or the all, yeah. all – he's not asked to be, be restrained. Like, it's great planning in my mind. Like, this is how you coach young players. Like, we're we're really a young team minus Thiago Silva. Yeah. Like, he's the outlier, right? He's by far older than everybody. 
like we're, we're just a young team and like we're going to have these growing pains and and to be fair i'd rather have the growing pains from now into the spring and then get a get a full preseason and not start fresh but start a new season with them struggling right now because i mean if we look if we just want to look at the closest team that would would be to struggle with us would be arsenal in the last few years and look what they've done so it's not into the world. I, I think that there's a lot of promise here. Um, so, no, I mean, I, again, I, I think the young players bringing in supporting roles in, in the Cups and not saying the Cups are a, a wash, but like, no, you're going to come in and play a supporting role because we we do compete in these challenges. These We've also won Cups off the backs of young players who were really not much more than supporting roles. Like, the FA yeah. Cup under Conte, like that last year, like that for the first few rounds of that FA Cup, he was playing like guys that like never made it really far in the team. But yeah. it made sense. Like that's how you uh, we should be approaching. Like uh, Chelsea's finances do not depend even at winning the cup or losing the third round doesn't matter. Like the amount that that affects Chelsea's finances are none. Like FA Cup is maybe my favorite. Like football competition like younger i love the fa cup but like mm-hmm. it, we should be playing our young guys in the fa cup like well, champions you, league and whatever that's different but FA I, cup. I think i think the best example of a young player coming in with like a strong leadership group is when brian bertrand came in in the champions league and filled a role he had yeah. a great supporting cast around him and he came in and no one no one expected him to play that game no one and he did and, and he, he did was exactly great what he to do. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point, but yeah, that's how we got to approach I'm, things. I'm sorry, I'm over here dying. Uh, the the news just broke that the reason that the ZX deal has, you know, for the time being collapsed is that Chelsea sent the wrong documents three separate times to get the deal done. And I, I, I don't Chelsea know, are this, pulling this a Man like worse, United. This Chelsea is worse than a fax problem. This is worse. We just sent the but, wrong documents. All right, sorry, I I just had to get that in there, but we'll see if this deal gets over the line. They said they've applied for an extension because of the mistake, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. the the a point I've always made is I think arrivals are infinitely more important than sales because I had the point people were making about bringing in players young players and easing them into the lineup. And the only way you ease players into the lineup is by not, should I say burdening, not uh, putting so much weight on their performances from the get-go. And when a player comes in at 21, 22, let let me not say at 21, 22, when a, a player with little experience comes in, whether from the academy or bought from Colombia or whatever, or Argentina, when when they come in at that stage, the only way they can be eased in is if they have a competent uh, working team ahead of them. When an example is whenever a club buys players, he tends to ease them in. That is what what people say is they don't play for six months. They still learn the style, learn the culture of the team, learn the culture of the club and all of that before they finally play their first game. But when he bought Van Dyke, Van Dyke went straight in. Same with Allison, because he had no working defense. 
to ease Van Dyke. There was nothing to ease him into. He needed Van Dyke to start working instantly, and he pushed Van Dyke in. And Van Dyke was 27 at the time, so he wasn't inexperienced by any stretch of the imagination. The, the reason I'm saying that is when the team is not playing well, and you 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 get players, and it feels like, oh, this guy has to save us. If this guy doesn't play, who is going to get us this stuff? There's a problem. And I'll go back to the Abramovich era when we sold, for instance, we sold Tammy Abraham, right? Whether you think we should have sold him or not, to me, it's irrelevant. We sold Tammy for 40 million. We sold uh, Tomori for 29 million. We sold Zuma for 29 million. That's about 98 million that we've gathered in sales. And then who did we buy? That's the question. Because from that money, we bought Kulibali. From that money, we bought Fofana. From that money, we bought Sterling. And we put these players on a lot of money. And now Kulibali has more or less been replaced. I don't think Sterling starts over Modric now. He might. But either way, Sterling is no longer a mainstay in the team. He would play, and he probably would still play a significant amount of minutes. But I don't think he's a mainstay. The the reason I say that is Bale has gone out to buy all these players that a lot of them will feature, feature in the first team. If the ZF deal doesn't go through, I honestly expect him to start over Madweke for a while. And of course, that is all dependent on Madweke's performances. If he performs very well over ZF, you start over ZF. And I have no problem with that. But it's difficult to... The only time you have to should I say, give young players or your team some years to break them in or to start putting out more consistent performances is when there's nothing. And when you have a good team, for instance, if these players come in, I think there are a few players that will need to be eased in. I didn't think, but they actually needed to be eased in because I think he's... <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, I think, uh, I think, uh, I to what I'm saying. But I didn't think that I shouldn't need to be used in because he, as far as I'm concerned, he has a lot of first team experience. He's played against some of the best attackers in Ligon, in the world, in Ligon, several times for several seasons. So I felt he was ready. But I think Modric too falls into that category. Though I didn't, I didn't really watch him there. But I think someone like Emadweke, who has been has come in and out of injuries and has not had consistent um, starts or consistent games for a while, I think he would need to be easing, even if Potter prefers him to, to Ziet. So th- there is that. But I think the only way we can integrate young players, maybe academy players now, is if there's a good team in place. So you can play a debutant at right back, but the center backs and the left back are experienced players. The central midfielder in front of him is an experienced player. So you don't surround inexperience with inexperience. You don't pair inexperience with inexperience, and then you have to go through the pain of them losing concentration, costing you points, game after game. They have to. They should be in a situation where if they play the first game, they can be taken out, learn some things, they could coach, bring them back in again, taking out, 
But if they are your only option at that position, for instance, the kind of thing we did with Mount when in, in Lampard's first season, Mount played a lot of games. Whether he played bad, didn't play well, he still played. Resumes again, I, I'm happy someone else pointed it out. Resumes was bad defensively. And even until recently, I still saw him making a lot of the same mistakes defensively. So that kind of thing has to be... I think I think Lampard. I don't want anyone to get me wrong. I think Lampard was not did not really have that much of a choice in playing the people he played as much as he did, like Mount, because he probably felt what I'm getting from him is not much different from what I'll get from other players. And he is 21, so you know, I, so I so I get that. But it could have been an easier process for everybody involved if Mount if we didn't put that much on. The players are just coming into the team uh, that 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 quickly. So I think that's part of what will help. The other thing is, I've said I said before that the review didn't need to take three years. And from what I've I've seen now, I think if we make some more signings in the summer, which I agree would have to be accompanied with a substantial amount of sales, because like we've mentioned, we have quite a lot of players. Many of them will not see more than five games between now and the end of the season, they just won't. Because in this kind of situation, it's it's heavily competitive. And anyone who gets a chance and takes the chance would likely play the majority of games. And the other guy won't even get a chance until something gives. So there is that. But I think because of how much we have to spend and the availability, we have a lot of players available to us. In the summer, we'll have even more players available to us. And we'll be able to plug a lot of holes that we have left in the squad. For right now, I think the whole Jorginho left is still there. I don't think Enzo feels it, but that I, I may be wrong. But I, from what I see, I don't think um, Enzo gives us quite what Jorginho was giving us. But that's fine because we have Enzo now, and in the summer we have we can just focus on someone that will purely replace Jorginho. So I think yes, I think the, the players we buy. Are extremely important compared to players who sell because mm-hmm. fans often argue, don't don't sell so much. Why did you sell this player? But that's not as important as who you buy with the money you you get from the sales. Liverpool sold Coutinho and got Van Dijk and Allison. Uh, Tottenham sold Gareth Bale and got Soldado and uh, Lamela and a couple of other people. You know, so it's it's extremely important who you buy because there's transfers are already uncertain anyway. You don't need to get random players and then bring them in and hope and pray. You know, having plans for players goes a long way. So I think, you know, there's a lot going on right now. Like the ZX deal is collapsing right now uh, in real time. And it is, well, it's almost midnight in England. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and I, I think whether that deal collapses or not, I mean, I think that it, the writing's on the wall. He's done here. And, and I feel awful for the player if that happens, that he is not going to get his move and probably not going to play much at all if, again, with us, um, barring injuries. So that, that's really unfortunate for Ziyech. Uh, that, that really sucks for him. Uh, you know, we had such a whirlwind this, this winter with, you know, kind of the big names that we've, that we've brought in include, you know, Mudrik, Felix, Enzo, 
right? And uh, I mean, as far as where we're going now, I mean, Badia Shile is probably not a massive name, but he's going to be a big impact for us. I think it's going to be interesting to see where we go, where we head from here. Um, do you guys, I, I just think for a fun question, you know, who do you think is going to be the most important? Because we've had nothing but important signings. Who do you think is going to be the most important one out of the ones that we've got so far this winter? For the rest of the year or just overall? Uh, we'll just, let's just do the rest of the year. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Felix for me. I, I think he just like that. When Felix will play, everything will open up because of his vision and I think you have, like, for Mudrick, like, you can't double mark Mudrick. Like, everybody, I, I read about this earlier, like, in the Ukrainian league, Mudrick was getting double and triple marked. Like, like teams, like, because nobody else was such a threat. Like, and I think that probably would have happened. Like, marking in football is different than, like, basketball, right? Where if you double team in basketball, like, there's no way in hell you're recovering to the other guy. Yeah. Like in, in football, it's a little bit different because you can do it in ways like mark the space rather than the player inherently. But with Felix, like if you're double marking Mudrick, like there's going to be an opening. And mm-hmm. I know like Ola has raised questions that I think are fair about Felix's creative ability, like chance creation specifically. But like Felix, there's one thing that we know from like his key pass stats, his shot creating action stats. He finds that space. And so I, I think Felix just unlocks a lot for us. I agree with Ola. I actually think ZX is going to continue to play. Like, Maduike is a walking injury. And also, like, Maduike cannot cross the ball. Like, I've never seen anything like it from a winger. Like, it, he just never has learned, like, how to cross the ball. Like, his crosses are terrible like he to the point where he does not do it anymore so i i think that that is a pretty big hole when you're going up against low blocks in the premier league so i think like zayak is going to continue to play at least until like pulisic gets back and sterling gets back when sterling's back i think sterling's the main starter for that spot um and you guys know how i feel about sterling like i think sterling is going to be really 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 good when he has chance creation i think He's a world-class attacker still, so I'm not, like, super concerned about that spot. But, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, sorry, rant. Uh, Joe Felix is my guy. Yeah, it's got to be Mudrick for me. If, if his cameo is any indication, he is going to be amazing. Like, Eden Hazard level, take control of the game alone, amazing. Um, And if that cameo is not right, then... I'm going to say Enzo, but Enzo has a lot more footage that I've seen where he's consistently good. And I mean, in general, I think a midfielder, you know, you're going to live and die by how your midfield does. And, you know, we've said repeatedly that Enzo is only like one part of a midfield rebuild. But, you know, if he's like the Cesc Fabregas and all we need is like a Montec or a Conte next to him, yeah, I think he'll be awesome. But for now, if Mudrick can live up to what he's got, he's going to be amazing. I think he's going to be Badia Shila. I think his influence in the team is greater than many people have mentioned. I think at set pieces were more or less toothless. 
we're, we're vulnerable in defensive set pieces as well. Now we have a genuine presence there. I think his, his role in playing out from the back is as important as Silver because of his progressive passing. I think we looked much better defensively in the Crystal Palace and the Liverpool game. And Liverpool don't have, you know, they don't, they have quite the attacking cast and they, they didn't create any clear chance against Chelsea. I'm not saying, I'm not giving Badafil so credit. I think his partnership with Silva has been more important than his presence alone. So I, I think if he didn't have Silva beside him, I don't know if he would have done as good. So I think that is important and should be mentioned. But I think how we, how we are at the back is going to help us a lot because uh, Travis mentioned something about Modric not uh, not doing much when he of of the ball. He gets the ball, he attacks, he loses the ball and doesn't really track back. So I don't know how good any of the new attackers we bought are tracking back. I know Ziet does that, but when everyone is fit, does Ziet start? So I think I think but shields um his composure in in and out of possession would help most most players around him settle and including the goalkeeper. So I think he he would have the most impact, at least for the rest of the season. I'm just gonna say I think it's gonna be Mudrik, but I think that Felix is gonna be um able to get on the ball with much more um space and time. And that's gonna allow Mujic to to do what he does best, which is uh, create opportunities for other players. And I think that's why he's gonna be the best because right now our wide players don't do that. And I think just by having Felix in the middle, and then having someone out wide that can uh, can beat a player and either score a goal or find someone else for a goal is gonna be is gonna be key because right now none of our guys are doing that. And I think within the low block with his ability to dribble and get into the box and cause problems. Um, he, he's going to draw fouls. He's going to create these, these goals for opportunities that our, our current guys um, aren't able to do. They were able to do it a few years ago with Plus, uh, with uh, Plusik and Mount. Um, you know, they were getting fouled all the time. So I, I think he's going to be our key player because it's like Jordan kind of said, if, if you, if you overload the middle, he's going to be out wide. If you overload out wide to compensate for him, you're going to have Felix in the middle. Um, you know, you're going to give him space. So they're clearly going to have to try to figure out, you know, kind of pick the poison. I feel, I think Felix is going to be a close second because in this small cameo, he showed that he can get on the ball and, and draw fouls and everything. I think the bad Ashley isn't, isn't a bad shot at all. Um, but, you know, we, we've kind of struggled scoring goals, which, you know, goals win you games. And right now, what Havers is our leading goal scorer with five or six. Like, that's a problem. Four. Sorry, four. So he's got four in the five, league. Five. It's five in the league. Five, it's sorry. Five. Yeah. five. So we, we, we need someone to, to, to score goals or to put people in better positions for goals. Um, and then uh, I think the next one after that is, is going to be Enzo. I think he's just going to bring something completely different to what our midfield has now, which. Um, uh, which I think we need. We need a spark in the middle because it's been the exact same midfield pairing since 2018. 
can I which, can I add something really quickly? Yeah, I I think Havertz is a guy who's kind of going to be playing like. There, I think Havertz is starting pretty much every one of the remaining matches. Like, obviously, he'll get really good at, at points. But, like, Havertz is going to get chances now. Like, this is not the same. Like, Chelsea don't create enough chances. Like, between Felix and Mudrick, like, and Enzo. Like, Havertz is going to get chances. And if he sinks them, I think he's going to be here. And if he doesn't sink them or doesn't get them because he's not in the right spot, then I think he's gone. Sorry. Just want to no, say so, you guys talking about Harvard, so you think of that. No, so so I was kind of thinking about that as well. Is like who's going to benefit most from from all these opportunities in front of goal, and it should be him. And if it's not him, that raises a completely different question that you know we, that people have been asking, like get him the right players and play him in the right spot and everything. Well, if we've done that and he's still not producing, then that that's a bigger question that we need to answer in the summer. But uh, but but between the new signings, I think it's going to be. Uh, Mudrik, and then Felix, and then probably Lionel Chile. One thing I want to add about Enzo is I, I think Enzo long term is a great signing. Don't get me wrong; like I, I, I really do. I think his field vision is better than any player I've seen his age ever. Like when you watch him, like his field vision is actually the unreal. Like how far ahead he can read. He turns the ball over a lot. And he's an aggressive defender. Like, he works hard, but he's out of position quite a bit, in in part because of where he is placed offensively. It would not surprise me if Enzo does not start. Like, it would, like Enzo's going to start every match, I think, at this point. But it would not surprise me if he doesn't, if he doesn't just light it up. Like, I think Felix and Mudrick are probably going to have a great match every time they play. Like, they're just that type of player. Uh, and I'm not convinced Enzo's going to be like that just because, like, his weaknesses as a midfielder are going to be more exposed when you don't have somebody like a Jorginho or even, like, a Conte next to him um, to cover those up. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to just be honest, you know, up front. I think it's going to be Enzo for a lot of different reasons. I think it's going to be the best signing because, it, like, ostensibly, if we had to go the rest of the season with, like, Mountain Gallagher and Kovacic every third game as our double pivot. Uh, I don't think anything was going to get better. I think it was going to be pretty, uh, you know, it, it was going to be Antonio Conte level of suffering. Um, but I think Enzo is going to give us a lot, right? And I've only watched a little bit of this guy. And admittedly, I didn't tune in to most of the group stages of the World Cup for my own personal choosing. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as what he offers and what, you know, where his age is, where his talent is, he's clearly coming in to be, the main guy in midfield but there's no way in hell we're paying this much money for him to not be the number one midfield name on the team sheet every single week when healthy and when you know properly uh managed as far as how we go with fatigue and managing that going forward so I think it's going to be Enzo I think that what he offers in our midfield is different than what we've ever had in the last five six years or so probably haven't had anybody that can do what he does and since Cesc Fabregas in terms of uh, his pass playing ability um, because, you know, Jorginho was a very good pass playing ability, how it related to the actual transition from defense to attack. And then maybe the, the, the retention of the buildup play for attack, but I think Enzo does something different. And I alluded to this in the, after the uh, Nottingham, it was the, uh, no, it was our first match back, the Bournemouth match in the, in the, after the res- World Cup was over, and I kind of said, hey, what I, one thing I noticed quickly with our build-up play 
is it's a uh, deliberate slow and it gets from you know defensive to middle third, but right as we're exiting middle third, it's boom, right into the final third, long ball, get it into space, get the guy on the, get the guy on the end of that ball behind the defense. And then we'll try to see what we can do. That was Bournemouth though, right? Worst opponent. Let's not get over it. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. So then we think about what we did, you know, we're getting our ass kicked against city and the only identifiable thing from a tactic perspective for me was we're going to build from the back. Right. Almost every attack, especially in the FA Cup match, start went backwards to start and then went forward. Right. So I think that if we're. I think we've messed around with a few things as far as that goes, and I think that where Enzo is going to go into that. Is be that, you know, we can move the ball around slowly and then as we progress, we get to Enzo and then we hit over the top as somebody's already already getting into those spaces or that's something that we're already going to try to exploit as many times as we can. I mean. I don't want to get into like flat track bully stuff or anything like that, but Mudrich, there's a reason why this guy runs faster than anybody in the Premier League, right? And and football is an athletic game. It's not all about athletics. Otherwise, we'd just be running track. Um, but I, I just think that where we're gonna go with Enzo, what he's gonna offer from a from a ball playing ability. The other thing is too, athletically, he's gonna offer more than maybe what we've seen in the past. Uh, what I mean by the athleticness is, there is, you know, maybe the speed in which he's going to be moving through actions, um, as well as the frequency in which he can perform those, right? I think that's where we're going to see a bit more from him. I think with Jorginho, we're starting to see, particularly with the physicality side, just physically at age 31 in the Premier League, trying to, it, it just looked like this season he was still having good enough performances, but yet breaking down. We've seen Kovacic basically dwindle down from a very good player to now. Look, I really like Kovacic. He's one of my favorites in the squad, but I think that this cycle has run its course. His contract's almost up. We're going to move on, right? And I think what a lot of people got upset and frustrated with so many times with Conte being injured the last two years and a, a Jovacic pairing by more or less default over half the time is that it was slow. It was deliberate. It wasn't direct, right? There was a lot of reasons for this managerial squad, all these things that I don't really have information to can just can just infer, you know, infer on. But I think that Enzo is going to come in and offer something completely different. It offers the most excitement I think I've had in a signing since Eden Hazard, maybe Lukaku. I was pretty excited for Lukaku. Many of you probably know that. Um, but I think that Enzo is really going to be that transformative signing because if I had to see this team not get Enzo after this much pursuit, and then we go the rest of the season. I'm not going to lie. There's like no excitement. There's there's hardly any excitement knowing that we got rid of Jorginho. We have a bunch of squad guys pretty much left to cover these roles. Kovacic is injured all the time. Once out anyway. Conte's injured all the time. Who knows what's going to happen there. So many reasons why I would have just been kind of over the rest of the season. Maybe tune in. I, I'm obviously going to watch, but matches. But it, it, it would have felt to me very anticlimactic in knowing well, now we have a giant question mark in the central midfield room. What do we do in the summer, right? How do we address this problem? And does any any of these people even show us that's going to leave, going to be remaining if Enzo doesn't join and Jorginho's gone? Any of these guys even going to be able to offer half of what Jorginho offers or half of what Enzo offers? I don't think so. So that's why I think that Enzo is going to be the best signing for us. And other these, you guys all hit upon points for attacking attackers being the you know other than Ola with Body Ashley, which I think is a great underrated shout. I think with you guys talking about the attackers as being more of the transformative people, I think that Enzo is going to be the person that gets the ball to the attackers, right, in better places. 
And I just think that as far as how, if we do have more of a direct, a direct ball playing, you know, in terms of our buildup, I think he's going to be that guy that gets all of our attackers. And then we let them in the front, you know, in the front three, take care of things. I don't think that Enzo's going to be that guy that's getting in there and getting a lot of goals. I think he's going to be the guy that sits a little further back. And I, and I don't know if he'll be anything like a Sesk Fabregas. That's a really hard thing to compare to considering Sesk was one of the greatest, you know, chance creating central midfielders that I've seen in the premier league in my life. So I don't want to put that expectation on the Enzo. And I don't want to harp back to that. I think that he's so fundamentally different than what we've had with Jorginho and Kovacic and even Mount and Conte and even Sesk and Montage. He's just a different breed. Uh, to me, he feels like the, and this is very hyperbolic. This is very subjective, but he feels to me like that new kind of midfielder. He's not a six. He's not an eight. He's not a 10. He, he, he can sit fit more in one camp out of those three than, than others, but he'll do aspects of each, right? He's not just going to purely do this or purely do that or purely do, you know, a cam role. I think he can mix those roles. And I think having that mixture of roles gives so much flexibility with Potter to build around that guy in the midfield room. And again, I've only looked at the stats. I've only looked at the scouting reports and I've only seen limited footage of him. But this is all I have to go on, and that's what I see out of Enzo Fernandez right now. And I think he's going to be an amazing player. I can't wait to see him. And this is the most exciting. Most exciting this has been for me as a fan, personally, maybe since Champions League final night in 2021. Um, something about this signing to me, I haven't had this level of excitement of a signing since Cesc Fabregas. And when I, I mean, I still remember to this day where I was, what I was doing, uh, who I was with, everything when that news with Fabregas broke. Um, so I, I really have high expectations for this move with Enzo. I don't expect him to be people that we've had in the past. I don't expect him to do, you know, Cesc Fabregas or do this or do that. I think he's going to be his own guy. And I think that's what's the most unique and special about Enzo. He's going to be his own guy and who he is is his own guy. It's going to be a mix of all these great elements that we've lacked for years in all of the best ways. So that's where I'm at with this signing. I think it's going to be great. Um, you know, it'll probably it's it, I, I saw a guy, um, nice guy, Kenny on Twitter. He said it's either going to be like he moves to Madrid in four years for a half billion or he was loaned back to Benfica in 12 months for nothing. So I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty Chelsea way to go about things. Right. It's going to be a massive money player that, you know, is a huge success like Hazard or is the next Lukaku and hates us after four months. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be Lukaku. Um Hell, we'll probably actually have to preview Lukaku coming back to the club in the in the in the summer, uh, which will be a fun conversation. But yeah, I, I mean, I that's where I'm at. I don't know if you guys have any any kind of final closing remarks. Yeah, I want to add one last thing about Enzo that is just not getting talked about as much, which is he is one of the best set piece takers, and I mean that like free kicks and corners. He is one of the best set piece takers in the world. Like, his set pieces are, I mean, you can see it at the World Cup. You can see it with his Benfica footage. Like, it is incredible. I think that is great news for Chelsea because unlike so many people who've made this criticism of Mount, like, set piece assists are goals. They, they Right? If you have a set piece assist, it's a goal. I don't give a shit, like, oh, it's only assists off set pieces. Like, it's dumb. What I will say is that's not good news for Mount. Like, I think out of all, like, I, I, I where Mount fits in this team, especially if they keep Felix after this season, I am growing more and more skeptical about unless Mount is willing to be like, frankly, a squad player, which maybe he is, maybe he isn't. And like, despite like how bad I think Mount's been the last 
year or two. I really like Mount. I don't want Mount to be the, the guy that leaves and goes to Liverpool. Like that kind of sucks as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, if Felix is playing, if Enzo's playing, if Mudrick's playing, like you've just taken three spots where Mount starts off the table. And I don't know. I just, I, it's unfortunate to me, but Mount is one of the best set piece takers still. Like, I know we haven't been good at set pieces, but his delivery has been good. It's just like, I feel like we just haven't practiced much because we run the same corner kick every single time. Um, but yeah, I just, unfortunately, I think that is going to be the case. But yeah, Enzo's going to ring a lot. Like, his vision, he will get, Travis, to your point, like he adds directness, he'll get players the ball where they need to be, whether it's in open play or set pieces. And I think that's going to be really important. So on Mount, I'll say I'll believe that he's going to be dropped as soon as the Chelsea manager drops him. Because we've had this conversation before when Kai Havertz came in and, you know, Mount's still starting. You know, obviously there's a lot more competition now and his forms that the lowest it's ever been on a Chelsea shirt. But until we actually have evidence that someone's going to drop it, I'm not going to choose to believe it. Like, I keep seeing all these XIs for next season without Mount, and I just don't see it happening until it happens, if that makes sense. I mean, but if his form thing, doesn't pick up, there's no way there's no way he yeah, stays in the 11. Yeah, but it's like one bad season – Indicative of him as a player. It's been more than one bad season, though. Really like, yeah, it has. Like the last half of last season was not good. Like it wasn't good. So, like, so the, you're saying a season and a half, not multiple. Yes, which is no, which is no, Travis. I, I, I think one and a half more like, than one. One and a half is more than one season. It's been more than I one. Think, okay. I think for large parts of last season, Mount wasn't great. He actually wasn't. He wasn't. For last part, I think he was more bad than good last season. Throughout the season from start to finish, I genuinely believe that. I, I, I don't. I mean, he kept playing and he kept doing fine, but people, either way. But we've talked about Mountain his extension, right? Yeah. And like, I keep saying, like, I'm not worried about it because clearly we're busy right now. And if you look at like the ZH deal collapsing and the Hutchinson deal collapsing, we have a very one track mind. <laughs> like, we are not able to multitask. Like, we were all hands on deck to get Enzo done that two other deals collapsed. And that's left some poor intern in London to send the wrong documents three yeah. times. And I mean that that sucks if you're Ziyech. That sucks if you're Hutchinson oh. and you want to go out on loan and play, but we got Enzo. Yeah. You know, like let's prioritize here. Cause I've already seen like some comments on Twitter like, oh we've ruined our window with this. Like what? Like no offense to Ziyech, but we didn't ruin anything. We've done fine. What fucking window? What window are we talking about? The window to get like eighth? Well, I mean, besides that, but yeah, but just in general, I mean, like, what the worst? What's the worst case situation here, right? Like, ZH comes back and he has to play for another six months, but he throws oh. a tantrum and he won't. He won't I don't. Anyway. I doubt he's playing after this. <laughs> I wouldn't well, be shocked I mean, if he like, gets the Maluda yeah, like, or Maluda-like treatment. And hey, we know you don't want to be here. We don't really want you here unless there's an injury. Just take your wages and get on with it. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't it, – it is what it is. It sucks if you're the itch, but it is what it is because clearly we're focused on bigger fish to fry. And 
Yeah, I mean that, that that's where we're at. I mean, yeah, we have bigger you know fish to fry, and I feel awful for ZX the person and the player. But at the end of the day, if you tell me, hey, you get Enzo, but you have to have a botch deal at ZX, I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, I care about Chelsea more than I care about ZX, right? Um, I mean, in, in my case, it, it's a win-win for me. I can't lose because ZX leaves Chelsea. He's somewhere where he has better opportunities to play. He stays. He's. I. I. I think he. He was playing very well before. Before the the I mean before now, so I think he still plays. I don't particularly want to see Ziyech go, but I think in his best interest, he probably should not be at Chelsea. But yeah. uh, there's a point I wanted to make uh, about Enzo. I think what Enzo brings above everything else is chance creation from midfield, because as much as Jorginho created the most, uh, I think he created the most big chances as a DM last season. Jorginho uh, uh, is not that he's not he's not a consistent source of chance creation, and and that's not his role. His role is to bring the ball out from the back, get play moving, break up play in transition. You know, his 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 job is to get play moving. Uh, what's his face? Kovacic, I think, actually created nine big chances or eight big chances last season. But that's his best season as a chance creator. Like he, he he put in some true passes to Lukaku and some other people. He he actually did well in terms of chance creation. But I think what Enzo brings is number one, switches of play. He makes a lot of long balls per game. And I think a player who can switch play when the time is right is a, is extremely valuable to a team. Because in the Premier League, we know the Premier League is high intensity. You are not going to get a lot of time to do anything, to pick out passes, to make tackles. To you are not going to get a lot of time to do anything. And that those two seconds that you get to find your winger, maybe it's Modric who is in space, poised to run past the the the, the defender if he gets the ball at the right time. I think that would be extremely important. I think. What Enzo brings, his long balls especially, are extremely important for us because switches of play do things for a team that it 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 skips a lot of steps. I, I notice often when we want to get play from one side of the pitch to another, we use short passes, and I think that's inefficient because the yeah yeah you're playing at the top of the at the top of the professional game and they are not uh, the the. The the opponent is not stupid. As as you keep passing, they will keep looking around them and realize, oh, that guy is free. But if you make that pass the first time rather than than doing it, you know, through three passes, I think it it, it helps the team. So I think that's something Enzo Fernandez brings. I don't expect his chance creation numbers to be the same because Benfica are that dominant in the league that most of the teams they play against they dominate and they they they're on top of them for the whole game. That's why a central midfielder like Enzo Fernandez can have 23 possession losses in the game and he still has a good game. In the Premier League, you can't really afford that. But I think working with his teammates, working with the manager, coaching, and the more experience he gets, let's not forget, I think this is his first season at Benfica and he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not, I don't expect him to come in and Look as composed and as flawless as Badeshile looked, and Badeshile himself didn't even look flawless. So 
I think there's a lot to be excited about him. And chance creation for midfield is not something we've had in a while. So. And it reminds me of KDB, like when KDB was at Chelsea. Like in ter- and I mean that in like only the best way. It's like in terms of the weaknesses that are there, they're kind of the same and you knew they were going to go away eventually. And when those weaknesses are gone, his strengths just unlock an entire team. Like totally. Like any team with KDB on it now is going to be in the top four. I think Enzo's peak is kind of the same. I think that um, you know, get, getting these guys in with uh, with Potter, I think this last two weeks is going to help the team huge because he's able to you know build upon what he he couldn't do earlier in the season. Um, you know, when you when you look at the game, it's just a giant chess game, right? So if people press you, then the ability to play the ball over the top is on. If they drop off, you have more time to build up, but it's harder to break it down. And I think bringing in players like like Enzo that could can do both um provide you with more options um and that's a it, great point it, it's it's just exciting it, it's just an exciting game because now we have more players that are able to do more things than what we we have seen previously um yeah. you know going and and just I just want to touch on the the mount stuff I saw a video today and it was the turn that mount did against Porto when it was in a Jorginho, you know, goodbye clip. And he received yeah. in turn. And, like, we haven't seen those things from any of our attacking players in the last few years. And then when you look at the guys that we brought in, they provide those moments. Right? They're capable of those. So, like, there is that excitement. And uh, it's, it, it, it's just a new time. And I think that we have to be very careful with how we evaluate these players. You know, we're – and it's it's not a fault of anyone in here. But within the last five minutes, we've just compared Enzo to Kevin De Bruyne, and he's never kicked a ball for us. So <laughs> automatically, like, if he fails, it's it's a huge, huge letdown. But he's, he's what, 20? He's 22. Let's, let's let him develop and let's be excited for him. And the same with Badishili. Like, if, if we all remember, like, Koulibaly had two great games to start the season. And and now we're complaining about him like he's he was a complete flop. So it's, I agree with that. so it's 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 exciting, and I think that we we should definitely be looking forward to the second half of the year because I think like three weeks ago we had the same conversation and we were dreading the last twenty games, and I think now it's just exciting we can actually be um, uh, we could expect something that we haven't seen in games before. And and I think the two weeks help. And to be to be perfectly honest, I'm really looking forward to the game on Friday, just because they've had time off, they've had time to to train, and uh, I'm just excited. Kind of something that I haven't had in a while for watching them. I'm just finding out to have a game on Friday. Do, do they play Friday, or am I wrong? Yeah, so yeah, they play full. about that. I, I, I didn't, didn't know. I, I I thought I knew we had a game this weekend, probably. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I, I thought it was Friday. Friday. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's Friday, three o'clock Eastern. Well, I'll be at work, oh. so I won't be able to watch it. I'll follow it. <laughs> I'm I'm leaving work early. I'm going downtown for the match. So, <laughs> uh, Ramhead Brewery. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to be excited about, and I I'm definitely excited. I don't think we're going to go on a 15 game win streak and you know start pushing Newcastle or whoever is in third place. But I, I'm extremely excited for, for for the little I've seen so far. I am. We don't need to get top four for it to be a good end of the season, right? Like, we <laughs> I don't, don't even care at all. Europe. 
Like, Joe, yeah, I don't think that, so there's something nice about that. We can just enjoy the rest of the season. Like, yeah, exactly. we know we're not going to get relegated, so there's gone. no real cost to it. Like, yeah, it's gone. The, worst, the worst is that we'll remain where we are. That's the worst that could happen. I think that's what makes it so entertaining right now, or so exciting, is that I know, hey, we're going to be way better than we've been for the last six months, and there's really no pressure because we already screwed it up so bad that that we're really not going to get anything in the league. and. Uh, I don't think it's going to all magically click and work uh, work perfectly with only three of our players getting registered for this Champions League. So I don't really see that being a possibility either. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to get like I don't think we're going to skyrocket up the table. I think we're going to stay pretty consistent around that sixth spot. Um, just a lot of moving pieces to go on and. And, and and I bet if we do stay around that sixth spot and we get bounced in the round of eight in the, in the uh, or the quarterfinals of the Champions League, there's going to be a lot of fans out there that, you know, piss and moan and say that this is unacceptable. Potter was given $7,000 million and this is all he can do. You're going to hear a bunch of that stuff out there. Um, I, just as my own kind of perspective, I don't really care the rest of this season. If we succeed, great. If we stay where we are, okay. If we get worse, all right, I'll be able to work. Um, just because I don't see how we possibly get worse than we currently are with the level of talent that'll be in the Premier League squad. Um, I, I think I'm going to reserve a lot of judgments for next season in terms of where I think we're going to be and where we should be this season. And we're going to get better, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves um, and, and just put this unrealistic Champions League and top four expectation on us. I mean, Liverpool have Konate injured too. So they had um, uh, Van Dyke injured, and now they also have Konate injured for like three weeks. So I think we're actually in a much better place than we think because Liverpool is already in ninth. I think they are, and they are they they are still getting they're, key players. They're tied with us on points, but a head-on goal yeah. differential. And, and they have a game in hand as well. They they have important games. They have important players getting injured. We have you know we've seen we've kept two clinches consecutively. We have exciting players coming in, so I'm, I'm definitely excited for what I'm going to see in the in the coming game. Yeah, I, it's hard not to be excited right now, and um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good time. I mean, I'm just wanting to see how this looks going forward. You know, maybe what Potter. I think we're going to get a good idea of what he really wants to do now. And it almost it almost feels like there's so much talent that we can't we can't get worse now. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this, guys. I'm I'm very, very excited for Enzo. I think today, with the level of emotional investment I've had all day in this, uh, maybe why I'm so excited for that. Since that uh, Jorginho, like, I remember waking up this morning, it's like Jorginho to Arsenal, and we have no midfielders to replace him. Gallagher may be going to Everton, so we're going to see a one-man midfield with Kovacic. To, like, now we have Enzo, we kept Gallagher. Like, it's pretty exciting. Exactly, yeah. that's And that's where I was, too. Like, all the, even in, in another G- group chat I'm in, I was – Everybody was like panicking this morning. When I woke up at like six thirty in the morning. I'm like, hey, if we're selling Jorginho and we've got Bowley in the whole board at, at Portugal, I've got a feeling we're coming home with our guy. Like, I've got a feeling that we're going to come home with our guy, and we did. So it, it's great. You know, I think that yeah, we spent a lot of money, and you know, the finances of it are a whole other deal, which we seem to be navigating around and pretty much flipping the bird to UEFA's rules. Um and hey, I'm all for it because next year it'll change because they realize hey, people go ahead. No, no, I said I'm here for it. I mean the, the rules are made, we go around this, they make more rules, we go around those too. Yeah, and that uh 
Yeah, I, I think that's where it is. Is I don't know why they're upset with the long-term contracts, right? And, and I'm a proponent, and all the you know international listeners will probably you know kind of cringe at this, but I, I'm kind of a proponent of everybody. Just give everybody the same cap that you can spend X number of dollars on transfers every year, cannot exceed this amount, and then everybody has the same playing field. You know, I understand revenues are different. But then you can't bitch and say, well, why did Chelsea get to spend all this money? Well, you can do it too. I, I just, even the current rules, everybody else could have done what we've done this window. They just have chosen not to do it for 10 years, right? They don't also, want to accept like, that level of risk. And we're li- willing to accept the risk, but yet make it a very low risk because of how smart we've been with our moves. So the, the other thing is like where we are right now is the per like, okay, let's say they UEFA rules, we violated financial fair play. What are they going to do? We can't sign anybody this summer. Okay. Oh, you're not going to be able to play in Champions League next year? Oh, okay, we're not going to anyways. The worst they could do is relegate us to the championship, in which case we'll go undefeated, probably win the FA Cup, and be right back next year. Like, that's the worst they could do. <laughs> and, and they're, they're not, not going to do that because they'll lose too much money from it. But, they're like, not, they're, they're going to – Like, there's nothing we can do. We, like, totally were like, okay, let's go for it. Bring us what you got. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's very similar to what – um, Abramovich did when he first came. Like he found the loopholes and he exploited them. And Todd Bowley did the same thing. I mean, it's smart business. Yeah, like it, it's just smart business. Yeah. And and maybe the the best example of it is from like a like from an athlete standpoint is you see your stories about Kobe Bryant. He would study the referee's handbook, and he would exploit it. He knew where referees had to stand, and he would get by with calls because they couldn't see it. He would grab jerseys. Like it's smart. Like the the best in any sort of field study the rules and they find the loopholes and yeah. they change rules for them like what do we have the, the now that uefa has came out and said that you can't have contracts over five years cool we have a rule named after us now like we found the loophole that everyone else had the opportunity to do and they didn't and united have complained for years that their owners haven't invested in the team and we have a new owner who chose to invest Arsenal in the last 24 hours have complained about how their owners didn't go out and supply their team with more players. They've lost out on players to us. It's we're we're back where we were in 2004-2005 when everyone hated us. And and to your point, yeah, I mean even though like, you know, I've even seen this stuff on Twitter and and even other friends I have that are rival fans. Like one thing that they're like positing online or even in personally to me is like, hey, this has to be stopped. Like this is not right. How, why this cannot continue? Like nobody should be allowed to spend like this. This is just well, is can, not. They can, but they choose not to. <laughs> and that's the first thing I say every time. Yeah. Why? Why? Why are you mad at Chelsea for being smarter than everybody else and figuring out how to do it? My favorite are the City fans. Like, Man City that is owned by a fucking country. God. It's like, yeah, no. Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, Todd Bradley should go to prison. Like, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Like, (laughs) like, I think I think people complaining about spending, like, granted, yeah, we're Chelsea fans and the history of 2003-2004 right at that time. But, you know, Man City also went through, like, $500 million in fullbacks in, like, two years. So I don't really want to hear the complaints from those guys all that much. Especially Have you guys seen the John Cancelo story? Like, yeah, what happened? He, nuts. like, all of a sudden ends up at Bayern Munich. Yeah, basically he got pissed that he wasn't playing much this past month and demanded a transfer. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, because... as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Why, how did, why did John Cancelo get 
why why like he was one of their best players for so long basically he had a great first half of the season then he got benched for i forgot what like maybe arsenal oh it's Re- is it like, rico lewis yeah yeah because rico lewis came in and has been playing really well and then pep wanted to play Cancelo as a winger which he did against us in the fa cup and i guess joe Cancelo lost his shit like directly after that match like just like told and like start like wasn't showing up to practice when he was there he was dogging it and then, like, Pep was like, hey, do you just want to leave? And Jao Cancelo was like, yeah. So Jao Cancelo gets transferred. And then at Bayern, he literally says, well, it'll be nice to be somewhere where I can play more regularly. Dang. That was insane. So he's he's not going to return to City in any functional way. Unless Pep's Bayern, all. I don't think so. Well, no, but the Bayern deal doesn't have the option to buy. Yeah, but it doesn't mean he's going to stay. Yeah. 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 But that seems but that seems like a yeah. fundamental difference that won't be worked out very well. Byron tried to get Bernardo Silva too, and then Pep was just like, "No, I, I like him too much, even if he hates me, so I'm not going to sell him." <laughs> I think it's just too late to bring someone else. In. Yeah, that's probably what it is. But yeah, we'll see. I think I'm hoping that we, you know, probably Saturday morning record and have a good, you know, uh, win to discuss over Fulham. But you know, we'll see how it goes. Where I don't expect to see like an eleven full of new signings on Friday either. I think we'll still see a lot of the tried and tired and old, exhausted options that a lot of us are tired of seeing. Uh, all I'm gonna say is if Graham Potter sticks with these new signings and the veterans, it doesn't bring in Bashir Humphreys to start and Omari Hutchinson. Now he's on at West Brom. I mean, it's the same old Chelsea, right? You don't have a shot if you're part of the academy. That was sarcasm. Continue. Which will be much to the chagrin of a lot of people that thought, you know, Potter was going to be this great academy manager. I think the point about the academy, though, Jordan, just as a final little note here before we wrap up, is that if we're going to really continue to just pursue these giant these giant transfers on large contracts, then the academy is just going to be like cannon fodder for funding these moves. That's what they're going to be. And person, but like to Tyler, my point earlier, like it'll be support. They won't necessarily come in as starters. We won't ever we expect that of them. Nope. We'll put the guys that are good enough. Yep. We'll put the guys in that are good enough to do a rotation job. And when we get a big offer for them by some other English club, boom, gone. There's 100% profit right into the books. FFP sorted. Yeah. It's really smart. I think that the the academy should be used exactly how we've used Lewis Hall on the left. Yeah. Exactly. Clearly, we have two players that are better than him in Cucurella and Chilwell. Chilwell's hurt. And Cucurella has been struggling, so we bring yep. someone in to relieve the pressure off of him. But if all three are fit, there's not a chance that he's he's in lineups. But exactly when the time comes, he he's serviceable, and he's shown that. Yep. And I think that's how it has to be. Not only um, for the academy kids is that they're there, and when the opportunity presents itself, they can they're confident enough to step in and do a role. And there's not a massive drop off. But that's not going to be for everybody. Like when Hutchinson came on against City, like he looked like he struggled. Then when he started the game, he looked a little bit better. But like we can't expect that to happen all the time. Like it's going to be based off uh, the the player. Like who who knew that Trevor would step in last year in the season opener and play like he did? Right, right. I mean, like right. Trevor was about to get loaned until then. Yeah. Right, and it, like. Part of it's just going to be luck, and that sucks, right? Like, listen, you make your own luck as a team. You also make your own luck. Like, we should create opportunities for them to break in. But sometimes, like, if they get the opportunity and they don't – like, everybody's pissed about Tyra Clancy. 
Lamptey was not great when he played those few matches under Lampard. So when Brighton came in with forty million for him, we were like, goodbye. Like it, we've, right. we've kind of discussed it with uh, with Gallagher. Like he's yeah. been up and down. Yeah. Like if like so, here's the difference. If someone came in for a bid on January first with Gallagher, would we be looking at it differently than we are now? No. Like I, I think we would because he's gotten better through January because he's got a few more opportunities due to injuries. Oh, oh, like, I thought, yeah, yeah. But like January first, based on what he did previously, he was it was it was a struggle for him, and we would yeah. easily yeah. take the forty million. But due to injuries, he played and he got a bit more comfortable and he looked better. And now it's like, all right, now we can like now there's we're at least a discussion. Exactly. Yeah. Now like, that's do we keep him? Do we point. sell him? But like earlier, like early in the season, like sent off at Stanford Bridge on his debut. Uh, he looked poor against everybody that wasn't named Crystal Palace. So it's it's no brainer. Forty million, take him, and we'll take the money and we'll reinvest it. But now. It's it's a little bit different conversation, but if a bid comes in that we couldn't turn down, then like, all right, we appreciate you, but it's gonna be like Tamar Abraham. We're gonna take the money and we're gonna move forward because it's a business. Yep. And I think we're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see where we continue to move forward. I don't expect much movement in players for quite a while, uh, especially even in the summer. I think we're pretty much done there. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm really looking forward to Friday. I'm already more than excited to be there at Friday at 3 p.m. to watch this match. But, um, yeah, I think yeah. I'm getting the stomach bug that I'm going to need to like take off work Friday at three. Like, <laughs> I feel it coming. Have you already uh, ordered your uh, Hernandez jersey? Me? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I should. I, I should. I was, I was thinking about getting the Mudrick, you know, away cup print and all that. And now, now I don't really know which one I'm going to get. So. Well, now that Enzo, stays, uh, Enzo five is open. So, yeah, I know what that's... I'm getting all on though. Next year for his birthday, this year it's already passed. He's a body of Shoelace jersey. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna order a Lukaku jersey. Next year. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, hey, I'm gonna take off. I don't know if you guys yeah. want to keep breaking anything down, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take off. But thanks again for joining us, um, everybody, and thanks guys for getting on here for two hours. It's been a good been a good conversation, and I'm really looking forward to where we go. And the mood I think is only up from here, even if the results are not spectacular. I'm, I'm I'm just excited to see something novel for a little for a change. So uh, until next time, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Go Enzo.